Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Lorraine Nightheart, and you have reached Venus Unplugged. This is the place where all things Venusian uh, are discussed, explored, discovered, whether it's her planetary influence, whether it's relationships, and certainly myth and dream, and all these esoteric hidden meanings behind it all and within it all. So we have, for the last couple of weeks, been exploring the myth of Ainana, the Samorian goddess. Uh, before there was a patriarch, there was Ainana. And uh, matriarch, patriarch, you know, these are natural evolutions in the development of humanity. It all had to happen, warts and all, the good, the bad, and the and the conscious. So we are at this place where, uh, okay, uh, we've gone to Ayana, how she becomes queen and how she gives uh, the me, which are the, the principles and the laws of civilization, and then she finds her honeyman, and then she has the sacred marriage, and then after all that's done, she um, realizes or it is time for her to go into the underworld to meet her dark sister, Arishkaga. Now, Inanna is queen of heaven and earth. She's the co-creator. She is great tricks. Now... She is also a great warrior. See, the, in the ancient times, the goddesses weren't split. I mean, it was her and actually Arishkigal is part of her for those in the underworld. So as we evolved, many of these principles like were split in different ways and different names. So we are just dealing with the great one, the great Ainana. And so after she has uh, whooping it up with her honeyman lover, and then she listens and uh, from the great above, she opens her ear to the great below. And from the great above, the goddess opened her ear to the great below. And from the great above, Inanna opened her ear to the great below. Once again, we say something three times. When something is three times, it's got some magic in it. On a very superficial level, it's like conscious, unconscious, and superconscious. Uh, so we are addressing, because that's what it's about. It's about addressing. And uh, when you really work uh, towards realizing the depth of uh, of these ancient myths. And they're very much alive and living and kicking and are certainly part of the collective unconscious, which uh, is really running the show, operating. So uh, she realizes she's got to go. So she abandons heaven and earth to descend into the underworld. The holy priestess of heaven abandoned her seven temples and her seven cities Seven, you know, is always a sacred number. Uh, and if you look at it in terms of sacred geometry, it's a square, and a, with, and a triangle is in the middle of the square. Four sides, three sides, seven. 
So when you see that in alchemy or you see that, you know, in various esoteric books, that's what it's referring to, the principle of of, uh, Venus or Inanna, because she is. uh, She's a totally Venusian, but she's much more assertive and proactive than uh, Aphrodite. Now, so she abandons that, and she, uh, Inanna gathered together the me. Now, remember, the me is like that's like the Ten Commandments of, of uh, civilization, but different. And she advises her trusted servant uh, that she tells us she's descending, and if I don't return, go to uh, the air god and uh, let's broker a release. So she knows, as we all know, when we're making a descent, I wonder if I'm going to come back from this. Now, we intuitively know we never come back the same. Never. In any, in any great rite of passage. And if you do come back the same thing, you didn't have the rite of passage just held your breath and wouldn't change and wouldn't let something happen so she gets to the underworld and she commands now she you know she's the big kahuna here she you know commands to open up the door and uh, the gatekeeper he goes back to Inanna uh, I mean to Arishkaga and he says my queen I, I love this image my queen a young woman as tall as heaven as wide as the earth as strong as the foundations of the city world, waits outside the palace gates. She carries the knee. She says she has come to witness the funeral rites. Now, Rishkagal's husband has died, uh, the bull of heaven. So she's not exactly received warmly. These are two different worlds. Now, when... People are talking about light. Light is the space between heaven and earth. That's what that is. Because the primordial times, they were just all together. So, when Inanna enters the first gate, the crown and the scepter were removed from her head. And Inanna asked, what's this? She was told, quiet, Inanna. The ways of the underworld are perfect. They may not be questioned. And that's true across the board. The ways of psyche are perfect. And below the psyche is, is the collective unconscious, and perfect just means all our parts. Does it mean all light and goodness? It's a misunderstanding of the word. Shadow and light is perfect. And there's a, a beautiful image in, in the Kabbalah uh, about the crown. And that is said that uh, every day, every day, a crown is made uh, from all, all the people in the world who are, you know, there's always somebody praying for somebody. 
hopefully, yeah, there's got to be somebody, right? And so all the people who are praying and meditating and doing all this kind of stuff, right? Um, you know, this is a great poetic teaching, and uh, and it's about how that when the prayers uh, in each day are, are woven into a crown and then lifted up to the radiant mystery, which is the divine, right? And these prayers are made from the inexhaustible light, that space between heaven and earth, in our souls. And as the crown of light rises, it causes blessings to rain down um, on the world. And thus the world is renewed and preserved for yet another day. So it's an exquisite image. Can you imagine this? All the energy and it kind of formulates into this magnificent crown. It moves up and, and it's moving up. It comes up like a fountain and rains blessing. It is raining blessings on you right now, on all of us. So stand in the rain. Take the blessings. Get drenched, soaked by the holy waters. Of the rain. So then, and of course, this is also these these seven, uh, which is again a sacred number. Are, can we be referring to the to the seven chakras? You know, and chakras are the uh, energy wheels that are actually in the etheric body. There's actually more than seven, but seven is the is the well known number, and uh, when these when one begins to develop uh, spiritually or develop consciousness, you know those wheels, and certainly if people are doing um, tantra yoga, I mean those wheels get activated. I found out the hard way of how painful because I didn't know anything about it. Uh, one point in my evolution, my heart chakra began to open of its own accord. It wasn't like I was doing any yoga or anything. And it was excruciating pain. I mean, for months. At like about 4 o'clock in the morning, it would be like, <laughs> I kept on thinking I was having a heart attack or an anxiety attack. And it was actually, thank God, my, my uh, spiritual teacher was an incredible occultist extraordinary gifted woman and uh, so she helped me uh, it didn't stop the pain but at least it gave me something to hold on to to contain the pain and not misinterpret it uh, and it was you know, like the bud uh, an atom was opening alright uh, now when a chakra opens in, in this case it was the fourth chakra of the heart Yes, you become even more aware of of the, of the love that really is operating everything. You know, it's all of a sudden it's getting very high voltage. It doesn't necessarily make you a more loving person. That you've got to grow into. Because uh, there's a big learning curve on, on loving. Uh, and that's also something I discussed a few uh, shows back was, you know, Get the list of what you want in, in the lover. 
find somebody who knows how to love. And you've got a really good option of, of finding love and experiencing love. So we will go back here. So when Inada enters the second gate, her lapis beads were removed from her neck. Okay, right? That's the throat chakra. That's the power chakra. That's the voice. So very often when people can't speak up for themselves, that chakra, uh, that energy wheel is closed down. Now, if they all close down, you're dead, so. That's a different show. We're going to talk about that one. But when, and, and lapis, and that's why it can take years to, 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 to work with and, and, and study a, a myth. All right, so lapis, uh, lazuli, I mean, that is known as, uh, it's a protective stone. It is a stone that helps facilitate uh, psychic ability, all right? And it's ancient. And uh, so if one wears a, a lapis, you know, close to your throat, or actually wherever you, you have it, use it for, it is a protection. That's how jewelry uh, really began. It wasn't about adornment. It, it was about protection. The jewelry was talismans made at special hours and certain moments in certain ways. It was a great occult science of creating talismans. You just don't, like, zip up a talisman or Google one. You really need to sit with that energy at the right moment, right second, all of that. Okay? And so the lapis lazuli, it's, a, it's like divine favor. Um, it, it comes, and in, in the Samorian, you know, lapis lazuli was used extensively in temples, and depicted the, the the center, you know, the, the active ingredient is its sacred power. Now, where did that come from? All right, this whole, you know, why why are some stones uh, so precious? And well, each stone could be used for something because they have powers. Now, the ancients believed that. Uh, Lapis or these stones came from meteorites. It's kind of interesting, right? And uh, therefore, they held a, a sacred force within them. And there's a lot of uh, you can read the, the Magic of Jewels and Charms by Frederick Kunz, K-U-N-Z. It's very interesting stuff, especially for jewelry makers, or you know, if you're getting into talismans, or you want to wear, um, use different stones for protective reasonings, okay? Or, so that's where that came from, that these stones came from meteorites, okay? And like the Babylonian, which is Babylonian and is all part of uh, Inanna, right? And the royal astrologers taught that the mere fact of the passage of a meteorite across the heavens whether its course was for the east to the west or from uh, north to south, was a good omen. And it was portending victory and successful issues of of the royal projects. And so so that's what they would also be looking for, when to go to war, when to stop the war, when to, you know, it wasn't necessarily when you won, 
It was like you, you knew, you know, you had X amount of times to be playing out this stuff, and then the heavens were changing, and, um, you know, got to look. Got to look at something else. So th- these, uh, I mean, it seems curious to us, but that these stones are actually like the transformations the stones, the energy in the stones would be transformation uh, of stars into various animals and metals and stones. And uh, they would be observed in the heaven and wherever the Mirite landed or wherever they calculated it, that was like kind of, it's kind of an amazing image though, right? I mean, it could be. I mean, maybe that's why we have sacred uh, sites and certain little streams and lakes and waters and trees. And, you know, that that these were like blessings. And the, uh, from the heavens, kind of activations. So the lapis lazuli was always a, uh, a favorable omen. We still look for omens today. You know, whether we're looking at our daily astrology or find an angel penny and we get all excited, like, whoa, an angel penny. Um, there's always a, a, a longing, I, do, I think, within people for the omen. Let me see. Am I here? You know, am I loved? Uh, I, this is what is so important. So this lapis, so she has this little lapis... Um, well, actually, a few of her sacred accoutrements, okay, her powers. So when she enters the third gate, her double strand of beads was removed from her breast. All right, so here we've got the whole, uh, well, certainly the solar plexus, which is the second brain. That's really where we're getting our information, our emotional information from. And... Uh, with certain people, that's actually where their psychism comes from. It's, it's more the solar plexus. Others, it's the third eye. Um, different places, uh, different chakras, uh, different experiences, and uh, different uh, gifts of perception. So when she enters the fourth gate, her breastplate called Come Man Come was removed from her chest. Now, to have that breastplate breastplates were always um, made as talismans they were very elaborate so it wasn't just like a metal bra it was just powerful and and would protect her and also it's a pretty powerful image to see this woman as tall as heaven and as wide as earth and it'd be some big ass breastplate that's for sure so when she enters the fourth gate, not the breastplate, and then when she enters the fifth gate, her gold ring was removed from her wrist. Gold is the color of consciousness. It's a precious metal. All true wealth comes from the earth, which is why wealth and money is feminine so we 
get in there, we dig up diamonds and gold and oil and all those things. So, and it's a circle. Again, circle is infinity, without beginning, without end. She has them on her wrists, like bracelets. Or when you, I don't know if you know the, the little evil eye bracelets, they're quite beautiful, they're in incredible color blue, and they've got a little black eye, and that's to protect against the evil eye. And when you have a, a bracelet like that and one of the stones falls out, that means somebody was uh, putting the evil eye on you. And the stone took it and, and uh, absorbed, which is what they have the power to do. They can absorb. Certain stones can absorb uh, negativity, and, and others will protect and have other gifts. So when she enters the sixth gate, her lapis measuring rod and line were removed from her hand. So that's her scepter. So that's like an antenna. You know, when you see the magicians, like, uh, they're putting up their rod. Uh, uh, remember in the, in the Bible, uh, with Moses with the, with the rod, he turned to a serpent. That's also where we get the uh, the, the serpent as healer. So she's got this, again, lapis, that gets taken away. So they're not fooling around. They, you're, 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 you're coming into the underworld. You're going into a risk gal's land. She's like, <laughs> take it all away. And so she, uh, when she enters the sixth gate, her lapis measuring rod and line was removed from her hand. And at each gate, Inanna asked, what is this? And at each gate, she was told, quiet, Inanna. The ways of the underworld are perfect. They may not be questioned. Which is excellent advice when you're going through an initiation or a uh, depression or something is, or, or giving birth or, you know, you're busy doing something. That you have no control over it's perfectly human to ask why is this happening to me but the ways of the underworld are perfect the ways of the inner world are perfect so when Inanna enters the seventh gate her royal robe was removed her royal white robe was removed from her body so that's the light you don't need any light when you're going into the underworld Remember, the light is considered the space between heaven and earth. There's no place for it in the underworld. So naked and bowed low, Inanna enters the throne room. Arishka Gal rose from her throne. As Inanna started to walk towards the throne, the judges of the underworld surrounded her, passing judgment against her. Then Arishka Gal fastened on Inanna the eye of death. So that starts to give you an idea of uh, of uh, Arishka Gal's powers. She takes away life. Now, because there's another kind of life in the underworld, not the life that we know, but she can take that away, even from a goddess. She can take that away. 
And any time, and that's a very interesting image that the, with the eye of death, because any time you've gone through a great grief or a great loss, uh, whether it is a death or a divorce or a change or uh, a, a tragedy, a mishap, if you're growing, if you're observing this, you're going to come out differently. So the eyes of death, you know, it's like no frills, man. No pity, no sentimentality, which is what, what most people consider feeling. But no, that's, that's sentimentality. That's not really real feeling. If you would, it's a, it, it can be a nice feeling, but it doesn't have any power in it. So she puts this, this eye of death, uh, and she spoke against her and the word of wrath, and she uttered against her the cry of guilt, and she struck her, and Inanna was turned into a corpse, a piece of rotting meat, and was hung from a hook on the wall. Now, Inanna suspected this might be happening. So what happens? So what does that look like for us? You know, for as human beings, when when we meet our sister, our inner dark sister, Arishkagal, she leaves us hanging there. We don't have any answers. We don't have any powers. We're 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 just rotting. And of course, we get terrified. Like, what's happening to me? Uh, but this is part of you know the magic of transformation. Just hang there. Just rot. So when you tell people to go to hell, this is what you tell them to do. You want people to go to hell. It's like what you're really, uh, I guess it could really be looked at as a blessing. You're really saying, you know, go into the underworld. Go through a transformation. Grow up. Get rid of your bullshit. Go hang on a hook for three days. Reality is when it happens to you. Unless somebody has an experience, it's just blah, blah. Just words. So the chakras, which so this is about the seven chakras, and each one of them is closed down, and uh, the uh, magical instrument that was protecting the chakras, right? Chakras are ruled by Neptune, and Neptune is the god of illusion and delusion. It's the god of the sea, but it's also when we're in a Neptunian state, it can be very mystical. Or it could be like a drug addict, which is another kind of mystical. You know, they're always fascinates me that the language of of addiction is very similar to the language of spirituality. You know, I want to get up, I want to be high, I want to, you know, all this stuff. So here we have it. We we have this Ainana, who is definitely uh, knows she has to do this. Now, if you remember from previous uh, episodes, before she went into the underworld, she said, you know, if I'm not back in three days, come and get me. If you can, in life, give yourself three days before you answer. Three is 72 hours, Seven and two are nine, and there's a completion that gives you time to process, 
very often you will have a dream or get uh, information that you didn't know that you needed so badly. Right. And uh, so, once again, when you read these, there's, there's all this, it's code. When you begin to recognize it, you know, why the three, why the four, what is going on here? So with the eyes of death, what we can then begin to look at, we see life clearly. Because we have been initiated, we have hung and rotted um, and and what gets not the essential us that doesn't rot, but all, all the nonsense, all the things we're attached to, all that it just it just it just, it dissolves. It doesn't serve its purpose, and that's what happens when we're in a state of initiation and transformation. So people want to be spiritual, which I think is marvelous, but very often they don't realize they're calling forth in an initiation, and then you know their life goes into you know river of shit, and they don't know what happens. It's because all the nonsense has to be dissolved and destroyed. And then you come out of that in a completely different way. And it's very difficult to tolerate uh, the game playing or the lies or whatever it might be of of people. Now, you, you know, you don't get right about it, but just, you know, like, wow, man, I see this completely different. And most of the time, it's not even, it doesn't make any sense to even tell people because they don't know what you're talking about, unless they've done a tour of duty in the underworld uh, with the dark sister of Rishkaga. And um, Rishkaga knows all the ways. This also refers to the seasons when nothing is grown, everything's dark and foul. I mean that then that Arishka gal's up. She's she's in charge of these uh, seasons and these changes. So when we look at uh, the way of Ainana in our personal life, um, even if you don't really quite grasp the the eyes of death, say, well, what, what would that look like? The eyes of death. Okay. Oh. We're done by 